Eka Rakatira, Eka Kaimataki Taki, Tina Koto Kato, Ko Sari Blandalaho, Nota Rupu Kupu, no Otatahi. He Tina Mihikita Mana Fenua, Naitua Huiri, Naitahu, Moke Manaki Taka, Mete Tatoko, Norera, Tina Koto, Tina Koto, Tina Tatakoto. Welcome to you all to the session, Remembering Ralph Holtre supported by Penguin Random House. Today we're celebrating the work of Hone Papita Rakura Hotre, Rao or Ralph, and the new biography, The Dark is Light Enough, by Vincent O'Sullivan. It is a compelling portrait of a fiercely independent artist whose dark, glowing, ineffably beautiful modernism has carved out a unique place in this country's art story. As you know, Ralph died in Dunedin on 24th of February, 2013. To introduce the panel, I would have had two pages of bristling with awards and achievements, so I've tried to cut it down as short as possible. Vincent O'Sullivan is a poet, novelist, short story writer, playwright, editor, an incisive critic, and librettist. His work has been recognised through a myriad of awards and is held in high regard by readers and his peers throughout New Zealand and the world. As Kirsty Gunn wrote, he is surely our best ever writer to show us both who we are and who we might be. Award-winning poet and artist Sylla McQueen has published 15 volumes of poetry, including her latest collection, Poeta, published by Otago University Press. Sylla was married to Ralph in 1973 and continued to be a close friend after that marriage ended in 1987. This book is dedicated to their daughter, Andrea. Bill Manhire poet, fiction writer, anthologist, founder of New Zealand's first creative writing programme and New Zealand's inaugural Poet Laureate. In the words of Tay J. Cole, you get a sense of someone with a steady hand on the tiller and both the will and the craft to take your breath away. His new collection of poetry, Wow, is published by Victoria University Press today. Lisa Raihana is a multidisciplinary artist of Ngāpui descent. Through an art practice stretching across photography, film and sculpture, she explores issues of identity and history. Lisa represented New Zealand at the 2017 Venice Biennale with her work Emissaries, including the cinematic in pursuit of Venus infected. Vincent, I'd like to start with you first. You were asked by Ralph to write his biography in 2004. Before then, your paths crossed since you first met in London. I sort of think of it like a braided river in the Canterbury Plains. When Rav asked you that question, what was your response? Well, my response was, um, yes, I'd be interested in doing it, but I had two uh, immediate reservations. One was that uh, I was partly high, and the other was that I was inclined to be... Oh, maybe I have to put your... Um... Isn't that on? No, it's I'm coming apart. Your glasses probably getting away. <laughs> Is that okay now? Sounds right. I'll just twist this around. <laughs> okay. Yep. Right, we're off. Uh, <laughs> yes, in uh, answer to your question about uh, Ralph inviting me to do this, uh, 
Um, <clears throat> my immediate response was I'd be very interested, but the two things that disqualified me, I thought was that I was a, a Pākehā um, dealing with a Māori artist, and the other was um, that I'm not a... Well, I'm interested in art and so on, and I've written a bit about it. I don't claim to be an art expert. And he said, those are two good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and he immediately said, what he meant by that is he didn't want anyone with an agenda writing on him. One thing I found very much about Ralph and the, uh, the time we spent on this book um, was that he very much disliked the idea of being defined as fitting within a particular uh, art uh, trend mm. or anything else. In other words, the simplest way to put it, I think, is that <clears throat> Ralph, of course, naturally was absolutely <clears throat> at home with being called, with Maori used as a noun. Mm. But he had reservations when it was used as an adjective about his work mm. because this somehow could be construed by some as corralling him into a particular approach. And his independence, I think, as an artist was perhaps the quality that most struck me as I, as I got to know him. Yes. So obviously he didn't like art speak. He didn't like that um, sort of contextualising No, he didn't, didn't like, as he said, the minute someone starts talking about a picture, they're talking about themselves. <laughs> And, we were you know, in trouble. <laughs> and he was almost excessively, um, not dismissive of, but he just wasn't going to be confined by any particular yeah. artistic approach. There were some people who wrote about him that he thought wrote well yeah. and interestingly, but it's maybe a thing we'll come on to later, but it's easy to forget that for a good 20 years of his painting life, Ralph had quite a rough ride from the critics, mm. particularly the Canterbury critics, if I might say so. <laughs> We're tough. <laughs> but I know um, Ralph really enjoyed your biography of John Mulgan, and when you wrote that biography, which is excellent, but you had a huge mountain of letters to draw on. With Ralph, you had somebody who didn't say a lot, he yeah. didn't have a lot of letters, he didn't like the art speak, he didn't like contextualisation, in 2001, he had suffered a major stroke. I mean, it sounds like a hell of a job for a researcher. How did you get around well, that? Well, it, it did have its difficulties, a researcher, because as we know, that Ralph could be, you know, obviously as people here know far better than I do, um, you know, could be, speak very <laughs> volubly if he wanted to. Mm. But generally, he disliked, it was a curious thing to be the biographer of an artist who didn't really want to tell you about his art. <laughs> a, a, a good example of that is, he, is an image he used a good deal that he took from a, a, a church in the Camargue in France. And I said to him several times, because it kept appearing again and again, what was this particular significance of this? And he was always courteous, but... Um, more than most people, he could keep silent for 10 minutes and uh, it was up to you whether you took offence or not. And when I asked him about this and persisted, he simply said almost sort of with asperity, he said, because it bloody looks good. <laughs> and that's as far as you'd get with him explaining his own work. So I got to sort of really respect that about him and know that I could talk about the pictures in a way that uh, I hope was okay with him. But it was... 
Yes, it was a, a bit of sort of writing in the dark, yes. if you know what I mean, yes. at times. The dark is going to feature yes. in this session yeah. quite a bit. In 2005, you went to Mitimiti to see where Ralph was born, where he grew up, where his fa many of his family still live. How did that change your understanding of Going Ralph? to Mitimiti? Yes, and his art. Uh, well, getting to know his family, I think, was one of the privileges of my life. Um, I hadn't been to Mitimiti before I started on this, and they were sort of, they were as helpful as certain Pākehā were unhelpful, can I put it like that? Mm. And they were sort of very, it seems to me, admirable, straightforward people. Mm. And getting to know his family, uh, even to the extent I did, made me begin to realise the richness of his background. And I don't mean the, the, the total Maori experience of the, and his father's sort of learning and that sort of thing, but just their values as a family and what they would not be intimidated by. And this, this was the sort of thing that made it a great pleasure mm. to sort of work on it. And it was, well, the book is dedicated to his family. Mm, mm. And without them, you know, it wouldn't have got to page five. But he left Northland, he left Auckland. Yes. Perhaps he felt he had to to do to follow the art that he wanted to to make, but he took it with him. I mean, did you see that experience? What you saw in Mitimiti in his well, work as, later? Well, um, as, as would know far better. You know, he had this constant um, sort of connection with with the mm. north, mm. and it wasn't as if he left the north and became a success somewhere else. Mm. He became a success in other places, but there was this constant almost a tidal flow towards the north and then back again. That's how I saw it. Right, yeah. right. In 2012, the book stalled for a number of reasons. You're right, what Ralph and I had started was brought gradually to a halt. Yeah. You picked up with your publisher, Claire Murdoch, from Penguin Random House. You picked up the book last year, and we're very, very pleased that you did. Yes, well, it's better to be totally frank about this. Um, is that why the book stalled is that Ralph and I agreed, as people who've known each other for, for many years, and I was a friend of Ralph's, but not an intimate friend, and I think that's an important thing. So, you know, I didn't have sort of preconceptions about him. But both being sort of artists of different kinds and having that trust that artists have in each other, we made the mistake of saying, well, this is an agreement between friends, we needn't set anything in paper. Mm -hmm. And... Gradually, that agreement, which was entirely a matter between the artist and myself, was infringed on and impeded by others who claimed to have a superior authority over what Ralph was thinking and what he should be doing than Ralph himself. Thank now, you. I could go on about this for several no. hours, but I'll leave it there. Yeah, no, thank you for doing that. <laughs> and I also want to talk about because what comes through this book... and. I've, I never met Ralph, I only know him through his art, and he wasn't somebody that you saw endless interviews with in the media or anything like that. So you do get a sense of a very reserved person. Sarah, you re referred to the time together in, in Carries Bay at 27 Harbour, Harbour Terrace. You say it was an artist's house. There was art, there was writing, you were teaching, there were guests, there was conviviality, there was wine, there was whiskey, there was fishing... And I understand Ralph was pretty good at, a, at some French cooking as well. Can you describe 
that life, which is very different from somebody sort of focused quietly on their artwork? Well, it was very exciting because there was a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And what was driving the whole thing was Ralph getting up in the morning and thinking and asking what day it was and thinking <laughs> and then zooming off to the studio and working on what he wanted to, to do. And he just simply did it. He didn't really talk about what he was doing or why he was doing it. He would have an idea and that would go right through a whole series of paintings or drawings or something like that. Right. And um, meantime, um, friends would come, lots of people would come to his studio which was a mixed blessing for him mm. because he was very, uh, very kind and always happy to see friends. Mm. But that would mean he would have to put his work down and um, have a glass of wine or a whiskey or eat or yeah. whatever. There's lots of food turning up there. And then everybody would come back to Carey's Bay and I'd be rushing back from school and I'd start <laughs> cooking and we'd have a big dinner with lots of things to eat and lots of wine, lots yes. of lovely conversation. So did he have to protect his studio time, or was he too... He was too nice. Oh, too nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say in your um, memoir, which is a beautiful memoir, in the slant line, we respect Ralph's work as if it were a senior member of the family. It takes precedence. And that's a lovely line sort of evoking this body of work that's sort of there in the corner or just over there. And yet it was a senior member of the family who didn't say much. I mean, it sounds like you didn't ask him much, or it wasn't... I was allowed to, or, or I, I often stood by him while he walked, worked or watched or whatever, but I didn't discuss it with him particularly. I was, I was very young, mm. uh, and I was very impressed and amazed by his uh, drive and energy and ability and sort of magical way he, he had of thinking something up and just putting it onto, mm. card, uh, onto hardboard or using his um, lacquer and, and mm. grinding tools or polishing tools or having a large, big whole, whole lot of paper and doing a whole series of things. Everything mm. would just come out like that. And Andrea and I were really, um, were there to, well, we just wanted to help mm. because it all got quite intense as well, especially if there was an exhibition coming up. And did you help? No, no, I only helped by then perhaps fending off a few businesses oh, I see. so that he had <laughs> time to carry right. on. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. In 1978, you, Ralph and Andrea went to Europe. Yes where you spent time in Avignon, in mm -hmm. France. Your description of it, I mean, Dunedin and a lot of Ralph's work sound, is sort of dark and it's sort of gleaming. And, mm -hmm. and your descriptions, your time in Avignon, sound really light and white. And you actually say that Ralph started painting white. There were flares of white on the canvas. That happened mainly in Menorca, which is oh, just Menorca. after. This is the same year, though. Yes. <clears throat> we travelled okay. around. Um, but we had three months or four months in Avignon. And the, the light there and the trees, the tall poplars bending over in the Mistal and things like mm. that. Um, it was a very light and sunny summer mm. and very beautiful. Mm. Do you want to read the Mistral song? I'll read the Mistral song, yeah. The Mistral blows, the Mistral blows. The first day of the Mistral, my true love said to me, Jesus Christ, that wind is strong. <laughs> <laughs> See those poplars? poplars sweeping. The second day of the Mistral, my true love said to me, Jesus Christ, that wind is strong. See those <laughs> poplars sweeping, hear the bamboo whistling. Let's go and look at ancient monuments. But the Mistral followed. 
The third day of the Mistral, we clenched our eyes and shut our teeth. The branches knocked on the roof. The bamboo whistled. The poplars shrieked. The cypresses rent their branches. We tore our hair out. We let our legs and arms go and threw our clothes out the windows. We opened the roof and let the branches take over. The Mistral blows. The Mistral blows. And when we had quite surrendered, it left nonchalantly, whisked, whistling vaguely among the grasses. It's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> When you came back to New Zealand, you arrived in a country prickling with protest. There was a Springbok tour, proposed aluminium smelter at Aramoana, the bombing of the Rainbow Warrior, nuclear testing. He had done political work before. His Sangro paintings were related to the death of his brother during World War II. Back in Dunedin, and I was trying to read between your lines, Vincent, in a way, you were very politically active. You were driven to protest by the sounds of things. Was Ralph? Uh, he didn't really want to, uh, to begin with, um, put himself forward as a protester because he was an artist and he had mm. work to do. And of course his work always spoke subliminally about his political convictions. Yes. Particularly the use of black, of course. Yes. I mean, black matters. Yes. And um, I was uh, a teacher. I got quite feminist at one point. <laughs> I had a Girls can do anything. Of course. <laughs> Sticker on the back of my little car. And um, Joanna Paul and mm. I and quite a few other women artists started that sort of thing off and um, right. had an exhibition. And then Ralph was drawn in. We drew him in. Right. And um, yeah, he, he carried on with his own manifestations of his, his ideas. Well, uh, Vincent, I'd like to bring you in here about those manifestations because you were suggesting that the words used and the protest was used from a slightly different perspective in Ralph's work than perhaps in other art protest work and that it was used aesthetically as much as politically. Would that be fair comment? Yes, well, I, I became very aware um, <clears throat> that Dee Brown sort of got into his, his work. It seemed to me that... <clears throat> And, of course, we associate the Hautry name so often with, with protest mm. uh, works, you know, about uh, various nuclear things, Polaris, uh, Aramoana, mm. and the rest of it. And, of course, but I tend to see that the politics can be the subject mm. of the paintings, but that's not the ultimate purpose of the paintings, which was always an aesthetic one. Mm. And... Ralph himself, it didn't matter what he was painting, it seems the, the business of the artist's first obligation, which is to his materials and to his particular artistic vision and the way things should be done, mm. that this was primary. Mm. And this is not to underestimate the political, but they were not... Uh, he was not... He was a... Uh, seems to me very much an aesthetic painter who did protest works, but right. that's not the same thing as being a protest painter. No. Yep. So the art was never subsumed yes. into the yep. cause. Yes. Right, yes, no, that makes complete sense. Um, Bill, in, in Sitters describes Ralph's work, Melody, Melody, My Lady, based on your work, and she says, sorry, you say, I hear the tonal quality of these black paintings telling the poem in a repetitive, 
personal chant of poet and artist. Voices not raised above a murmur, which is a lovely description. And how collaborative was this murmuring between you and Ralph? And is collaboration even the right word to be using? <coughs> uh, yeah, I, collaboration is a very strange word to use yes, with okay. Ralph. I mean, various forms of friendship, I yeah. think, are important. And, and I mean, we, we think of collaboration as a bunch of people in a room brainstorming, yes. thinking, how can we run a campaign that will yes. make people buy more <laughs> butter? Or, you know, mm. that's collaboration. Or, or a couple of people sitting at a piano keyboard and, you know, the one's doing a melody and one's yes. doing the words and somehow this great song comes out. Mm. But it's not like that, I don't think. Certainly not like that with Ralph. Uh, and I was thinking the other day, actually, if I... I try to find a word for his art practice, as they say, I'd probably want to reach for a word like scavenger. Or, <laughs> because Ralph seemed to me to be someone who looked at the world and found things that he could use, recombine, transform. You know, I mean, he spent a lot of silhouette. I mean, your house at Kerry's Bay was made out of repurposed bits and pieces from yes. buildings all yes. over the all over Dunedin. Really. And his, his use of, um, of wood. Um, yeah. De demolition timber, yeah. which he yeah. could see was underneath yeah. this beautiful, glowing, gorgeous colour. And he would spend hours and hours yeah. grinding and, and planing yeah. and things. And so the scavenging, the transformation, yeah. 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 the artwork. You're talking about materials or ideas as well? And both, I both. think. So, mm -hmm. so materials, you get amazing work like Black Phoenix, the big mm -hmm. recreated mm -hmm. ship or... Mm -hmm. You know, or, or you get the corrugated iron paintings, mm. you know, rusting away, yeah. you know, not, not fresh sheets of corrugated yeah. iron. But that delighted him yeah. too, Bill. I, yeah. I mean, he, he, he said, oh, this is going to be a conservator's nightmare. Sorry, Lance. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, th I think his relationship with the poets he read yeah. were also a kind of scavenging. Yeah. But yeah. he... He didn't want to sit down with me, or I imagine with Scylla, yeah. and we would write a poem for him Impossible. to use. Mm. He wanted to read our yeah. stuff, I think, and find things that mattered to him, and he would use them, he would repurpose them. Yeah. They would become his, and they, yeah. and they came from a friendship and yeah. a life he was leading yes. and yeah. stuff like that. Yes, I was just going to say a, a, a phrase I associate with him. Um, when you know, going to de demolition sites and being a, a, a bit dicey legally about who these belong to and so on. But he said this was, this was liberating material for art. <laughs> <laughs> That's really nice. And those friendships were long. I mean, you met Ralph when you were a long, young literature tutor at the University yeah. of Otago, working at your parents' pub. Ralph was 15 years older and I gather had recently moved to Dunedin for the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship. I wonder how that conversation first started. Was it just chatting over the bar? I think we met uh, probably at a student party, maybe a party mm -hmm. after one of the uh, Tiger University Drama Society plays that Silla might well have starred in. Uh, <coughs> I mean, this is a digression, but I'll, I'll, I'll make it anyway. <coughs> My wife and I very well remember standing in Ralph's studio one day, and this young woman went past pushing a pram, her name was Scylla McQueen. She was a friend of Marion. And Ralph looked out the window and said, boy, that's some woman. <laughs> 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 and, 
Done and deal. I just thought, oh, <laughs> I thought, there goes Ralph and Marion <laughs> thought, aha. <laughs> well, then uh, after that, very shortly it must have been, I was pushing the same pram with my dear Andrew in it um, across the pedestrian crossing outside the university and along came this really nice-looking, dapper-looking Māori man who walked straight past me. And as he went past, he said, I like a pigtail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's a good opening a... line. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing, a really nice aspect in your, in your book, Vincent, is when you talk about the work using um, poetry, not just from you, but from other poets as well. But there was a time when you, when you sent rough words or lines of poetry, I think like pine, your pine poem. Yeah. Which, why did you do that? Why, which words did you choose or which lines did you choose? Well, I, I, I was in London doing sort of <coughs> postgraduate study in the old Icelandic sagas, which was pretty bizarre, oh, really. Wow. Mm. Uh, and life was going on back in Dunedin. And uh, Ralph had actually published my poem, Melody, in a typewritten form and a little booklet and had been, he'd done these big paintings, great sequence of melody paintings. And I, I guess I just wanted to stay in contact. Mm. And for some reason, I got these little postcards which never had images on them. You used to buy them at little stationery shops. And I had a typewriter because these were the wonderful days where poets used typewriters and thumped the words <laughs> onto the page. Uh, and for some reason, I typed the word pine, P-I-N-E, onto one of the cards, and then I wrote a phrase that went with it, uh, like, in a dream of snow falling, yeah. or something like that. I thought, what will I do with this? This is, this is fun. And I thought, I'll send it to Ralph. <laughs> so every week or so, Ralph got a postcard with the word pine on it, and a strange phrase underneath. And I had no idea whether this would interest him, or he might have been baffled, he might have, you know, Did he, tell, did, did he write back? Did he tell you? I don't remember. <laughs> it was usually no. me who got the, these out oh, of the really? letterbox. Yeah. And I, yeah. I knew that Bill was doing mysterious old Icelandic things. <laughs> oh, heavens. <laughs> but Ralph, Ralph just gobbled them up. He thought they were fantastic. Yeah, and he, he made really several... Yep sequences yeah. of drawings out of them, didn't they? Yeah, he? but it was a wonderful long-distance piece. Mm. Of, yes. That wasn't collaboration. That was just sort of magic. Yeah, know, and he kept yeah. using a lot of that stuff. Mm. Yes. And, and one or two of the phrases kind of sat in his head, not mm. just for the work he decided to do at the time, mm. but from time to time, year after year. So there was one phrase which was, pine, empty of shadows, but making a shadow. And that one coming back and back and back. Mm. And it mm. obviously meant... It resonated somehow with Ralph yes, in different ways. I mean, that idea of scavenging is him taking something from you. But when you saw what he had done, the images that he had made, did that make you see your own words slightly differently? That my own words what? Slightly differently. Oh, yes, it does. It does. does it? Yeah, yeah. It's... Well, I mean, I, I like to make the rather feeble joke that Ralph's been my best publisher. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, you know, and, and sometimes he stenciled the words, sometimes they had the personality of his magnificent handwriting yeah. on canvas or hardboard. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did uh, yeah, I, I couldn't point to stuff in my work that changed because of that. Mm. But it made me... It made me proud of my work in a strange way. That's interesting, which yes. It was, you know, a sort of honest pride, really. Yeah, it makes sense. Good. In a Dream of Snow Falling was my first artwork I ever bought, actually. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Lisa, I'd like to bring you in here. You've been waiting very patiently. But um, you knew Ralph... I mean, there's a lot of... Vincent focuses quite a bit of the, during the time when Ralph was a specialist art advisor under the wonderful Gordon Tovey, and he was obviously a popular teacher. You knew Ralph. Did you know him? Did you look to him, or did you look to his work when you were studying art or when you were learning about art as somebody you could learn from? Sure. Um, well, kia koutou, everybody. It's a real pleasure to be here and um, with this esteemed panel. Um, to answer that question, I've actually made a few notes and some observations that I wouldn't mind sharing with you that mm -hmm. will help elucidate that idea. Um, where will I start? How about here? I, um, I first came across Ralph's work when I was in Christchurch. Yeah. I was in my second year at art school and we'd done a... Um, a group of sculpture students from Elam Art School came to meet the sculpture students from Elam Art School, cause, so I could fi finally work out what the difference between Elam and Elam was. <laughs> Elam being a place, Elam being um, a name from Mr. Fisher. But what was amazing for me is during the week that we spent making some works, I visited the Robert McDougall Art Gallery and was walking through one of the galleries and came across this incredible suite of stainless steel works which had this kind of muscular um, carving and, and um, burn marks and scour marks from, from grinders. And it really struck, it stopped me in my tracks and it really it gave me the impression of how beautiful and strong and powerful art could potentially mm -hmm. be because I was, I was a student at this time um, way, way before we had a lot of dealers in New Zealand. I mean, it's, it's a very different time that we're thinking about, like art, art practice, as it was back then for me. This is um, 1984, so um, quite a wee ways, ways back. But actually, one of the wonderful um, memories that I would like to recall here with you today is we ended up being in an exhibition together called Toy, 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 which means art, art, art in German. And it was a collection of New Zealand, three generation of New Zealand artists showing at the Museum Fredericianum in Kassel, Germany. It's the first art gallery ever to be uh, in the world. And so it was a real honor to be included in this group of artists. There was Colin McCann, Len Lai, Rosalie Gascoigne, Billy Apple, Bill Colbert, Ralph Hortilly, Al Budge, Boyd Webb, Jacqueline Fraser, Ronnie Van Houch, myself, Peter Robinson, Michael Stevenson, and Joachim Tarn. Mm. So that was a real, a real treat for me. And um, I wanted to take another step aside and talk about this material called Vanta Black. Vanta Black was um, designed by the Surrey Nano Systems, and it uses a chemical deposition process that lays down a billion nanotubes per square centimetre. The nanotubes stand upwards like blades of grass, 
and the result is the blackest black pigment that you have ever seen in your life. Mm. Now, a very famous artist called Anish Kapoor was offered, um, he's the only artist in the world who is allowed to use this Fanta Black, and he describes it that after black holes, it's the blackest material in the universe. I've worked with non-material objects since my void works, and Vanta Black exists between materiality and illusion. Now, I talk about Vanta Black because when we were at Toy Toy Toy, one of the things that Ralph Hortley arranged with the curator, Renee Block, was to get 12 sheets of, um, um, what do we call it? Get the wrong name. Uh, sorry, lost my place. Corrugated iron sheets. He had them sent to the Mercedes Benz factory and they were um, painted in Mercedes black. And I was there when the truck arrived outside the museum and they were delivered into a room. And it was a wonderful thing. I heard this laughter. I was installing my work, and I heard this laughter from far away. And someone said, quick, 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 you've got to come into this room. You've got to come and see what's happening. Bill Colbert and, and Ralph were standing in the room. They got one of the German installers to um, cook up 12 kidney beans the night before. And they were in the room with these laid-out sheets, this beautiful, dense Mercedes black corrugated sheets, which were on the ground and they were throwing them behind their heads and watching the beans jump around. They were trying to work out where they were going to drill the holes so that Bill could um, insert these upright neon tubes. And they were laughing and laughing because no matter which end of the room they were standing, the beans seemed to go bounce, 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 bounce and all end up in a puddle and, um, together. And they didn't like this idea. So then they sent this... German installer off to get a very, really long piece of wood, a piece of double-sided tape, and try and pick up these baked beans without putting any um, finger marks <laughs> <laughs> on the Mercedes black work. <laughs> this work is called Blackwater, and um, I wanted to share that experience because what, to me, thinking about collaboration, Bill and Ralph did many, many beautiful works together, and they had a lifetime of making um, projects together. And I think as an artist, like, when you see it, it's quite a serious and a beautiful work in its own regard, but it was made with a lot of laughter and a lot of love. And so when I see that work, I hear them giggling mm. together. Mm. And I think these are some of the things that we, you, you know, you cannot discount because it is that, that beauty of, of making work as well, the fun of it, the sharing of it, and the experience of going through that together. Yes. Um, That's a fine time to tell that story now. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing, it was, really, it was a pleasure for me um, because I'm, I'm Ngāpuhi, I'm from up mm. north, and mm. of course... Ralph comes from, um, well, he's Te Aupauri, and he comes from Miti Miti. Uh, for me, travelling that far away from home was like um, having my dad there. In fact, um, physically, they looked quite similar. Mm. There is a Ngāpuhi look um, to the uh, older gentleman, and um, it reminded me of him. Uh, he was very ill at the time. He caught the flu, and it was very cold, and he wanted to go to St. Petersburg because he knew it was probably his last opportunity to travel. Everyone was trying to stop him. 
from leaving and going on this journey. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, he's a Maori, Ngāpui man. There's no way we're going to stop him doing this. <laughs> so I went out and bought him a scarf, a beanie, and some matching gloves, and I said, travel well. I wanted to... I knew that he needed to, to make this trip for himself, mm -hmm. for his own, you know, his own, his mm -hmm. own reasons, and mm -hmm. they were beyond mm -hmm. us in, mm -hmm. in that space. Mm -hmm. So sorry, it's a bit of a roundabout way, no, but I think yes. that, that um, the materiality and thinking about those materials that he loved, mm -hmm. he loved to use. Well, also you bring up the, the black, and I wanted to ask you, Vincent, about that. Um, you say when he, even before he reached an even, even when he was the last exhibition in Auckland, he became known as the guy who did black, you know, he, yes. he cornered that. Yes. And that could be for a myriad of reasons. There's, there's the grief, you know, his brother died, his mother died, there's <coughs> the pole, there's the Māori aspect of, yeah. of black, and there's a simple, very savvy career move that nobody I else was doing. It was when he, he came back from Europe right. and the enormous disappointment of um, uh, Paramatchet, remembering that time, said when Ralph came back and as far as the Auckland art scene was concerned, he said it was a bloody waste of time. He was going to Europe. No one was interested. Mm -hmm. And he was, uh, Ralph was very disappointed in the response to he brought back several hundred works. Had um, his first exhibition at, at Barry Lett's gallery um, and he didn't sell anything. Mm -hmm. And then he thought, well, I'll try and do something totally different and that was a zero show mm -hmm. in which he used the most vivid mm -hmm. colours and big, big squares of colours. Again, nobody bought any. Mm. Um, and then, it was then he moved into his black painting. And one of the reasons he said he wanted to corner something that was absolutely his own and there was no New Zealand artist that you primarily associated with black. Right. Mm. And then, of course, this, I think, opened the wellsprings for so much that was important to him, um, sort of emotionally and so on. I'm, I very much dislike sort of books about artists that try to psychoanalyse the artist and mm. say this. But it was enormously important once he got into this notion of blackness. For one thing, in uh, the, the concept of Tepol is mm. of darkness and blackness in Maori thought, which, you know, has layers that aren't, um, aren't the concern of... Uh, of Western thought at all, but you know, not just, not just the darkness of death, but the darkness that precedes life, the darkness that life can come out of. Blackness can actually incorporate quite a number mm. of, I suppose, uh, concepts like that. Mm. Also, the fact that he, from a, a Taupuri tribe, was enormously important and they are the people of darkness. The very word, Opuri, means under the shadow of smoke. And the, uh, one of the originating um, forefathers had escaped from uh, a besieged power by setting fire to it, and they all disappeared in the smoke. Mm -hmm. And then they were known for this sort of thing. There was another, there's another Opuri story of um, a besieged... Uh, and the chief got away and he had bigger feet than anyone else and everyone else stood in his mm -hmm. so the myth goes mm -hmm. and got away and people didn't know where they were in the power or where they were 
And this story of disappearance, reappearance, there's a jester figure, another sort of um, a variety of the, the, the coupe figure in a, in a lot of their, uh, their myths. Mm. And these, I think, became more and more important to Ralph Lee's connections, and especially through his father and what he learned mm. from his father. Um, and then the most, one of the most revealing things, bits of documentation I found in the book, was actually a letter that he'd written to this woman. It was the, um, the centre of a court case a number of years ago when there was a claim, not from Ralph, but from the Hoatree uh, Foundation of a number of paintings that they said didn't belong to this woman and Ralph had given them to her. It got to court, it cost this woman a great deal of money, but she had letters, and one of these letters said, these 40 paintings, or whatever, a really large number, are entirely yours. Mm. If you ever want to give them away, want to sell them, they are yours. And you can imagine this is probably one of the nastiest moments in, uh, in some people in the Foundation's life. Because they thought, ah, oh, you know, there's a few pickings mm. here. Mm. And uh, it fell over completely. Mm. Um, and in a letter to her, he actually said, I wanted my last exhibition, this was the first of his black exhibitions, to be colourful and joyful. But he said that he had been going through such depression mm. that blackness was the appropriate medium to use. And generally, I don't think he spoke to people who may well to you, but sort of spoke about his state mm. of mind. No, no. But I think that business of the darkness within Rolf himself and the mm. darkness he could draw on sort of both mythically mm. and through his family and tribal co connections, these all gave an, an enormous sort of both validity and depth to his engagement with black. And where does the spirituality, because he was brought up as a... Hmm? Very much his spirituality as well, the it, Catholicism. Indeed, yes. Does that feed into that as well? That yes, bit? yes. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, the great last paintings, almost last paintings of the, uh, the uh, uh, gold on the black. Yes. Those are absolutely beautiful works. Mm -hmm. um, the darkness is sort of right through those, but darkness could be naturally within his own um, sort of tribal and emotional range, darkness could be celebratory mm -hmm. as well, as yeah. it was at the end. As one of mm -hmm. his responses to later to Spanish art and Spanish religious art mm -hmm. was that how black is so central to the celebration mm -hmm. of, uh, of different you know, conceptions of religious joy and so on in, in Spanish art. And you also brought up the fact that he lived, I think, for the first 16 years of his life in yes. a house with no electricity. Yes, so yes. I always thought that was an important yes. thing because most of us can't imagine that. But mm. for six, his, until he went off to uh, school or a, a scholarship in Auckland, he grew up in a home and in a little area out of Mitimiti where there was no electricity. And so everything was done just by the natural cycle of light. Mm. And night time was a constant time of reflected windows, uh, sort of burnished surfaces, sort of things that become so integral to his own art. Mm. Uh, they're, in a way, in the images of boyhood and childhood. So this is a, an artistic 
device he's using, it's a, it, it mm. seems to me a deep experiential mm. well that he's drawing on. Mm. Mm. I am going to um, open this up for questions now. So we do have two people with microphones who will come to you. Um, please wait till they come to you to ask. So are there any questions? I've got lots more, but... Um... <laughs> I was curious, Vince, when you said he made black his own, because McCann struck me. And I just wondered if you'd like to elaborate that. On, on McCann? McCann. His relationship with McCann. Oh, yes, well, I, I, I don't know an enormous amount about that, and, but I, it'd be well worth going into one of my favourite images, in fact, that I mentioned in the book, is that he and McCann sort of got on very well. I think there was a touch of rivalry on Ralph's part, because, after all, he was the great senior artist, and if you're going to be at a serious artist, the ones you are most aware of, of course, are the big ones ahead of you. But there's an image of... Uh, they used to drink at, both drink at the Kiwi in Auckland, the, the student pub and so on. And Ralph had a red sports car. And at least a couple of times... I mean, he often gave McCann a ride home. But a couple of times... And I'd just love to think of traffic police for watching this... He would drive him home in this open red sports car and McCann was standing behind him with his hands on his shoulders <laughs> and sort of taking in Auckland, these two inebriated people. <laughs> and I think that's a good image of the friendship between them on that level of fellowship. But they were also close artistically and Ralph gave McCann, for example, some words that his father had written that became an important McCann's sequence and but on the other hand Ralph didn't have McCann's solemnity about art and for example before he went off to England on a, a scholarship he was torn between a golf tournament in Northland and McCann was giving a series of lectures just after he came back from America and his responses to American art and there's a letter in which Ralph writes to him and says, oh, it was really a bit awkward, but I've got to go to the golf. That matters after, after all. And there's that side of Ralph, which I really sort of like too, the, uh, the refusal to be precious. I mean, utterly, utterly serious about his art, but won't be precious about it. For example, there's a story he, he liked um, on blackness. His first big, his black show, Barry Letts, some of his relatives from up north came down, including an old aunt who arrived before anyone else. And um, he made her coming down the stairs and she said, oh, she said, this must be the wrong place. She said, there's nothing up there except a lot of dirty old blackboards. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's, I'd just like to follow on from your question because it is a good question. And Ralph has been set us next to Colin McCann, and especially in the use of letters and numerals. But they were for very different uses and purposes, weren't they? Can you Yes. Oh, yes, that? you can say, well, McCann was obviously doing that yes. before, but I don't think anyone has a, has a particular claim on that. I mean, no, no poet's got a claim on a particular me no. metrical form no, or no. something. And uh, 
Ralph also used language so diff differently from McCann. You could always feel that a bit with McCann, and it's part of his that solemn greatness about the man that he's sort of like the prophet, mm. hoping the desert's even worse than it's cracked up to be. <laughs> <laughs> and whereas Ralph uses language, it seems to me, in a more joyful way right. than that. Right. You do get a sense of McCann's writing that he's got something to tell you. You know, he's that's the ancient right. mariner. And you'd, and, there's a... and you'd better listen. That's right. Yes. Whereas, again, with Hotre's work, is it more about the aesthetics and not so much the, the symbolism, but the symbol? Yes, and also the actual mood of the moment. Right. Um, Marion Maguire, the, uh, <clears throat> who worked with him on some of his lithographs and so on, Yes. Um, she said that uh, she's given a very good account of their working together and Ralph looking around and saying, oh, perhaps I need a few words here. And it didn't really matter what words he was recalling or what image it was. He said, we've got to get something that suits the mood of the moment. And if you say, what is that lithograph about? That's finally what you have to say. Mm -hmm. It's about the mood at that particular moment and these other components of it, the design components and so on, are all subservient to that. Mm, mm, mm. I would like to add to that, I suppose, that the notion of not just te pō, but te kore as, yeah. as a space, of, a generative space, mm. and that certainly um, his, his working from there has given a lot of um, mm. uh, artists a space to work from. But I think um, coming from... Um, um, a Māori family, a Māori culture, but his use of language is almost like a chant. You know, mm -hmm. there, there's actually, there's, there's a sound, there's a rhythm, um, mm -hmm. and he has a much more kind of, he was always looking out internationally. And I think McCann was uh, working through his own philosophies mm -hmm. through his work, whereas um, Hōtere, there's this aesthetics, but there is a mood, but there is, there's also a Māori sensibility that sits underneath yeah. all, all of his works. Yes, right. it's a matter of sense of, you feel with, 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 with Hōtere that, and the language and so on, he's out there seeking something that might be drawn into this moment and this centre that is sort of going to be beautiful or useful in some way. Whereas Makan knows beforehand, he's got the quotes worked out because this is part of his religious intensity. And right. it's so interesting, I think they're both great painters in their use of language, but, but very, very different. Right, yes, thank you. Are there any more questions? There's one here in the blue shirt. Thanks for a wonderful presentation. I'm just uh, interested in the notion of place. And when you think about language and identity and the Māori sensibility, uh, to what extent uh, does the idea of place, where Ralph was from, influence his work? I've um, been thinking about this. If you don't mind, I've you been thinking about this a lot, because what um, strikes me is um, a choreographer a couple of years ago asked me to work on a project called Mitty Mitty, and I was super pleased because it meant that I had a, an invitation to go. So I went to Mitty Mitty and saw it for the first time and um, went to Matihi Tihi Marae, which is where um, Ralph's um, family are from that area. 
Um, it's an area where after the SS Vintner um, dropped a whole lot, there was a whole lot of Chinese bones were being tra travelled overseas and they were collected by a number of iwi along um, Hokianga and one of the places where, just beside where Ralph is buried, is a beautiful golden, uh, a red memorial gate. And I was thinking about gates, and Hokianga is where Kupe came through, and it's a space where there's a kind of an ally. It's a place between here and there, this world and another. Um, a really unusual thing happened at Miti Miti. For a long time, the meeting house was pointed looking out towards the sea. And then when they felt that everyone had arrived and more people were coming from the road, they actually lifted it and turned it around the other direction. And for me, it struck me as really interesting that him and Honi Tufari should end up so far away from Northland and end up down in the bottom of Te Wai Ponamu. And I wondered with that reversal of the gaze, whether there was a kind of a permission that was granted. He's often, a lot of the works like um, Aru Moana, Pathway to the Sea, there was always a sense of this ability to transit from one place to another. So I find that kind of, I don't know, I've just, it's just mm. something that I'm making up or formulating in my own mind, mm. but thinking it through in relation to a number of the works that he'd made. Um, and I thought, not so much scavenging, but also reclamation is a yeah. word that comes, comes to mind. Because when I think about Black Phoenix and the fact that mm. Ralph um, found this boat and he kind of reclaimed it, was almost like saving the, the bones again. In a sense, mm. I think about, you know, there's this huge mythology which relates to Mitty Mitty and, and looking after those bones and, and caring for them. He almost did the same thing through this reclaiming of this, of this boat. And, and they, that these two, is from Otago all the way to Mitty Mitty, these two places somehow have this kind of psychic force between them. So it's just been something that I've um, mm. come to think about mm. from reading the biography, yeah. for instance. I think this might be a good time. I'm going to break procedure here and um, end with a poem um, by Bill called Some Things to Place in a Coffin that you wrote. Sure. <coughs> Before Ralph uh, went back to the Hokianga, there was actually a standard sort of Pākehā funeral for him <coughs> in St. Joseph's Cathedral in Dunedin. And the pallbearers at that event, <coughs> and we all know when you carry someone, they're much heavier than they ought to be, and so was Ralph. But Ralph was, he was a little guy anyway, and he was much smaller when he died. Uh, but anyway, they, they were troubled by this, and um, mm. it turned out, there, there were jokes made about it, but it turns out that it was the case that a golf club had been added, <laughs> one or two bottles of Pinot Noir, <laughs> uh, <coughs> and a range of things like that. So when I wanted to write a sort of farewell piece for Ralph, I thought I would uh, put all sorts of bits of Ralph and his life mm into a coffin. So this is called Some Things to Place in a Coffin. Hardboard and canvas, some lead-head nails, a blowtorch, a spray gun, a grinder, a glass of Pinot Noir, a boat with a motor, a boat with sails, a boat with oars, France and Spain, some lorca, some lacquer, a fishing rod, a hammer, the dog, Matthew, timber and bricks, a tiger moth, some rope, 
some sky, some ocean, the stations of the cross, a coil of number eight wire, a slowness, a suddenness, a concentrating grunt. Vidyapati's song, smoke and flags and banners, the far north, the deep south, harbour cone, a homemade home, the bishop, the knight, the rook, a black union jack, a circle, a line, a cross, some words and numbers, some corrugations, nailed down with iron against the rain, nailed down with rain, with daisies, with weather, with gold, with an old window frame. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much to the panel. Thank you, Vincent, for the book. It's going to be his legacy for a long time to come. And thank you to the audience and to the Word Festival. Um, Vincent will be outside in the foyer signing books, and Vincent and Bill will be taking part in a panel discussion at five o'clock tonight on the Catherine Mansfield Fellowship Letters to Catherine. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.